welcome to a championship Monday morning live edition of Football and Grits. Brody, you know how we know this is live is Ghana and Korea, uh, South Korea, excuse me, just finished. And according according to my 23andMe results, Brody, I am 12% Ghanaian. So what? This is your hyped. moment, man. We're hyped in this house right now. Let's go. Anyway. In the tourney. Look at you having a moment. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I believe the manager just got uh, a red card of some kind. Anyway, Brody, this is not uh, football and – well, it is football. Anyway, <laughs> let's get to it. Brody, I was on the couch Saturday. Yeah. I had LSU A&M on a second screen. I was watching it, but I was a little more focused on USC Notre Dame. You were in the house. Brody, what the heck happened? <laughs> what? 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 Yeah. what? You know, I, it's such a hard game to, like, pinpoint. And I think the, the, I'll start with the fact that Brian Kelly, like, I mean, you've listened to a lot of Brian Kelly press conferences. Normally in a post game, he's like, all right, here's exactly what went wrong. I'm going to break it down for you. He's really good in press conferences. Mm-hmm. And this was, he was the same boat I'm in, which is just kind of like, what was going on? And it was like, he said multiple times, I couldn't really put my finger on what happened here because it's not like LSU lost in some way that's highlighting an issue or like exposing something. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. exposing like a certain area, I should say like LSU's defense has been fantastic. And against the worst offense in the sec just got embarrassed. Like from start to finish first drive, AM just pounded the ball, ran it, ran it, ran it, and just destroyed them. And that was the case throughout the game. And then that set up receivers open. And and some of it was, you know, Evan Stewart and um, Moose Muhammad made some just unreal one-on-one catches. Not much you can do about that. That's AM finally kind of playing to its talent. But good thing he wasn't wearing sleeves. <laughs> yes, he was not wearing <laughs> sleeves. Good call. But it was bizarre. And I think what Kelly's talked about the last two days was. One, he just didn't like there was a certain fire and all that that just didn't seem to really be there. And obviously that leaves you wondering if it's a look ahead thing. I don't know, maybe. But also just and he talked a lot yesterday about, you know, this team. And I think this is where it gets interesting. This team got where they are because of traits over talent was the way he put it. His description is like they they played the right way. They did the right things. They were smart about everything and didn't rely on their talent. And it felt like Saturday they were kind of relying on their talent a little But there's another element to this, which is, and it's like a two-sided thing for me that I'm struggling with, none of us ever thought LSU was a great team. We thought this was, Mm -hmm. and that is why it was impressive. That's why we've talked about this week after week. This is a pretty good team that just kept figuring it out and winning games despite being above average or good, you know? And Mm -hmm. that's why you were so excited about the Kelly era. That is why, you know, the next 10 years, you're like, man, you might really get this rolling. So none of us ever were like, LSU really can win the playoff. No, I don't think so. But so this loss was always in the cards the same way they probably should have lost to Auburn and the same way they probably should have lost to Arkansas. Like this is just a reversion to the mean in reality. It is. I think that's fair. Like this was probably a nine and three football team and it stings just because you lost to a team that you are so clearly should be better than. And it stings because it just sucks the life out of a playoff hope, sucks the life out of this entire SEC title game, but not sucks the life out of. We're going to talk about it a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> spin zone. Uh, but there is something weird of like, as much as I'm saying it's a reversion to the mean, I don't know if I should also overreact to it in terms of this game because it all felt the things that went bad were out of character. Like it was mm-hmm. it didn't finish drives. That's like the one thing else he was really good at is finishing drives offensively or they didn't, you know, the run game stuff was bizarre. They just could not keep up with Devin Achain, which credit to Devin Achain. He played an absolutely dominant football game, but it was just all of it felt weird. So, yeah, I think LSU showed you who they were to some extent and maybe a little bit of look ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at uh, – I think you put it right way is I don't know that it's, a, it's an exposure uh, of sorts. Yeah. I think you look at – you know, when Alabama has really struggled this year, um, you know, the Texas game, the Texas A&M game, it's been – they don't have that offensive explosiveness. This is who they are. They've struggled. When Tennessee lost to South Carolina, why'd they lose? Well, their secondary has really not been good all year. Their front seven has been better than people realize. But the secondary has not been very good. And what happened? They got torched in the secondary. It was sort of exposing this thing that we all kind of knew was there. The LSU thing was just so hard to, to understand. But I think regression to the mean is probably about right. But but that aggressively against an AM team that has just looked 
lifeless for the whole second half of the season. But you're just like AM is a grind to watch. Like yep. they are not fun. They don't have any guys that make you say, wow. Uh, they, you know, like uh, they refuse to let Achain get the ball as much as he should. 38 yeah. carries, by the way. Yeah. 38 carries. He was 215 yards. Moose Muhammad, a great game from him. The one handed catch. Uh, made my catch of the year of the week on our best and worst of the SEC. And then that he made was... another amazing one that wasn't like as flashy, but amazing one like <laughs> a drive later. The best part of the one-handed catch, by the way, was like he just stopped. He didn't like it was yeah, so well, badass. I don't just, understand like, caught, just from, your, from a body perspective how you get a ball thrown that way and then your body just says, I'm not going to jump. I'm just going to get <laughs> Like he didn't True. jump there at was, all. Like, that's like the Reggie Miller, like, like uh, what's the whole thing? The, <laughs> the presence of mind just to be like, yes. no, 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 no. Jumping's not the move here. <laughs> like, how? I think most receivers' instincts would be to go through the DB, jump, yep. give a mossing attempt. But credit to Connor Wigman, who maybe yeah. the lone bright spot of this season in that if you're A&M, you feel like you got your guy. Now the task for A&M, we'll get to them later. But uh, you want to put your entire coaching staff between your roster and the portal and say, whoa, 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 guys, let's talk about this. Because I have to assume that's going to be the main task. We'll get to the Aggies later. But there is a game to be played on Saturday. Uh, And, of course, as is the case every year, Brody, the only uh, conference championship games with real playoff relevance are the Pac-12 and the Big 12. I'm getting (laughs) a little tired of this. Yeah. But. I'm sick of it. So Georgia is in – I mean, I think Georgia could lose by 40 and probably still get in. Yes. What's the what's the line? If they it lose – It is now – it's like 16. No, no, I mean the line for them to get kicked out of the playoff. If they lose uh, 110 to 3, does Georgia still get into the Yeah, playoff? everyone would have to get hurt or something. So, like, you don't even have the confidence that they figured out. It would have to be horrific. And... So Georgia is pretty much in. And I think, um, you know – this is a good test case, Brody, yeah. for in the BCS era, Georgia would have to take care of business in this game. But I think people forget and just how how teams work. Winning your conference means a lot. Yes. When people put goals, and these are very real things when you're talking about inside the program. When you look at the cynical media perspective or the fan perspective, they might say, oh, winning the SEC is great, whatever, but I care about the playoff. But for most teams, they talk about, hey, we want to get to a bowl. We want to win our division. We want to win the league. And then whatever happens next, that happens next. You win the league, even if you're coming off a national championship, that's a very real goal. So I think that means something. And I so I don't think you're going to have motivation issues for Georgia. I think you're going to get a focused Georgia team. I don't know that we got a focused Georgia team on Saturday against Georgia Tech. I can't blame them. Uh, that seems... That was a bit of a sleepy game. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, it is what it is. But, um, you know, it's 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 one of those situations where, uh, you know, this game will still mean something to the players on the roster. Absolutely. I mean, Tim Gordon here. I I guess I didn't think about this. Tim Gordon, Georgia fan. Uh, Pop Sin says, as a Georgia fan, the fact that we have not wow. won the SEC since 2017 makes me sad. And I very that much want to my brain. 2019 and 2019. I forgot that in 2019 they lost. I was watching that game in a cheesecake factory in Atlanta, actually, because I was well, trying to get yep. back home from a recruiting story project. And I was in Atlanta during the SEC championship, and I was not at the game. And then... Uh, I was at last year's game, obviously. I, I didn't think Wait, about it. Was the 2018 fact. they lose like the really good from Hertz game? And then, uh, I believe so. Because well, like in both of the in both Tua of got those, hurt, right? Then Hertz won it. And then 19 they so. get just boat raced by LSU. 20 they don't make it, I assume. Yeah, they did not. And then 20, yeah. okay, then 21 you just get upset by Bama. Yeah, wow. All right, great point, Tim Gordon. Yeah, like, yeah. 19 they were the better team in that game. Uh, yeah. They were they were winning a lot. So yeah. So I hadn't thought about that fact of it, actually. We, we should have had... And Kirby said he's like, it's an opportunity to do something that is very rare. Like, at the end of the day, yeah. like, it's... And that is a really good point by you, that, like, it's so easy for us in this big picture brain to just be like, this doesn't matter. And it's like, it's like the opt-out thing. Yeah, there's going to be a few opt-outs every year. Like, of course. But, like, most of these guys like football, and they only have a yeah. few years of, like, playing it. And they yeah. this is, like, their life. The same way we live in... Like, you live in... A fan live and dies with Mississippi State 
Auburn or something. Like you mm-hmm. live and die with this stuff. Like you're not just brushing it off. And also Kirby Smart's very good at motivation and all that stuff. I, I can't it's imagine true. that's going to be an issue. And I think what's tricky about it is everyone assumed Georgia was going to win this game convincingly anyway. But at least there was like a life to it. There was it was one v five. It was you know LSU's fighting for the playoff, which has added some intrigue to it. And yeah. now it's like, okay, now LSU won. It's like, wait, this proves LSU isn't that good. Maybe so. Two, you know, it just there's the meaningless of it. But it's tricky because if you view it the same way we just viewed, you know, this game doesn't really like that loss didn't like expose anything for LSU. It's the same team. I don't think the spread should change or anything like mm-hmm. that. You know, it's the same thing. It's the same recipe for how you would theoretically win. And I'm standing here as somebody, and we're not going to give away our picks, but as somebody who probably thinks Georgia dominates this game, there is routes. Like there is a clear way you win because mm-hmm. the same way we've seen Georgia just falter this year like georgia i think georgia's number one i think i've been saying repeatedly on the show like i am gonna judge them more by how they play when they have to try and they have been a juggernaut when they try but that doesn't erase the other part of it that yeah we're at five times now we're against a much worse team they are just on the ropes like in the second half so there is clearly the recipe right georgia's been in such a weird spot all season because last year I mean, how many times did you watch them and you just said, like, wow. Like, this team is unreal. And every time it felt like you were watching them, you were, you were just wow by everything that they did. Granted, that did include the SEC Championship. I was saying wow for another reason. But that team brought every – this year, the Tennessee game, the the Oregon game, uh, I would say probably the rally late against Florida when they just oh, yeah. turned it on. They've had some wow moments, but this Georgia team, like they don't, they just don't jump off the page to you as like, oh man, this team is unbelievable. I think they're definitely the best team in the country. Yeah. So like, and I think that's also probably why people struggle to embrace them as the best team because there's no like one thing that you're like, that's it. But continue. But they're you know really offensively efficient and explosive. Uh, Is it fair to suggest maybe that last year? Almost the the Stetson JT Daniels conversation almost made them like more interesting. Ooh. Whereas like this year you're just riding with Stetson and he's played really well. He's done everything you need to. Um, he's played really well. But like last year, people were kind of like, "Well, can they win it with you know they've got this defense, but can they <laughs> win it without the five star?" Even though anyone actually watching that team, myself included, felt like yes, Stetson is good enough to help them win it. He might even be better than. Uh, uh, than JT Downs, which I would say, based on what we've seen in 2021, uh, you know, it's hard to really gauge because they're in very different situations. But Stetson's played really, really well. JT Daniels has had some good moments at West Virginia, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's not playing right now. So uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, yeah. So, and I wonder if know, also, do you think there's something to, first off, everything you said, I think, is why they're like harder to wrap your brain around. Like, but I think there's also something of there's not a face to this Georgia team as much as there was last year. There's not like yeah. the, the name brand stars aren't there. So one, I think everything you're saying, there was just an intrigue about that team because on top of everything we're saying, it was also the Clemson thing of like, can Georgia finally just do it? Like, can they finally? Yeah, do that's it? true. They've proven for so long they couldn't. But two is like, you know, even though we're talking about the like Stetson Bennett's your quarterback, but still it was like Zamir White and James Cook and, like I've never seen a defense in my life where more people knew like more than four players like nationally. Yeah. Like everyone knew every defender. That's rare. And this team is just good at everything. Jalen Carter for yeah. nerds know like that's the best player in college football. But he doesn't jump out in the same way that Jordan Davis did last year. Yes, because he's just really good at his job. But it's not like oh my god. Yeah. And or Nicobe Dean chasing down ball carriers yeah. from like forty yards away. Exactly. Nicobe <laughs> Dean's probably the best example. Like everyone. Yeah, they Nicobe don't have Dean. that guy. Like they have some. Like obviously, you know, Smile Munnins played well. They're missing. I think I, yeah, we all know they got studs, right? Yeah. But it's just there's a certain name brandness to it that's just not there, and I think it's just people are just struggling to wrap their brain around it. But it's like, guys, they are the best team. Like yeah. they are. They don't have a. Do you think they have a flaw, like football wise? Not the the kind of sleepwalk thing, but like I don't know. It. I mean, listen, I talked like, when I did that coach's confidential yeah. piece. They really did not like the corners. And then, and those corners showed up big against Tennessee, so maybe they're wrong. 
But they really said like there was a lot of questioning Keely Ringo, and then there was a lot of like beyond even him beyond him they're not that deep. Yeah. I, you know, LSU has obviously you know when you talk about Malik Neighbors and Keishon Booty like they can guys guys can make some plays, but those guys are not burners. So no, I agree. Like, so can you take advantage of that? We'll we'll find out maybe. So I wouldn't call it a weakness. I, I think this is the yeah. problem with the entire conversation around Georgia Ooh. is that any conversation around Georgia doesn't compare them to the other teams that are playing football in 2022. All the okay. conversation around Georgia generally compares them to Georgia 2021. And I think yes. that – so then I think Georgia, like that conversation almost like – makes them feel like disrespected in the discourse sometimes because yeah. it's like, ah, this Georgia team, like last year's team was probably a little more fun. I think there is something to the fact that there was that storyline all year of like 1980 and Georgia, clearly the best team in the country. Can they get there? And then they get smacked by Bama. And then it's like, oh, like, well, they're still going to get the playoff, but what, but like, you know, they might have to play Bama again and they do play Bama again. And then that's a very interesting rematch in this perspective. Um, and then of course they do it. So that was a pretty interesting title run for a lot of different reasons. So I think you remove the storyline aspect of it. You remove the sort of star power of it. And you're just left with this Georgia team. That's the best team in the country, but just not as interesting and not as compelling for the casual fan, I guess. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I don't know what to make of them. Like, again, I, I can't say enough. I think I'll listen to arguments for Michigan over, over Georgia, I think you can make a case. I think we're going to probably find out which yeah. of those teams is better. I would probably go Georgia um, just because I think they can do a lot more things. Um, we'll see. you know. And they're more tested too. Michigan, the schedule. We haven't seen them. Yeah, I, I might be as underwhelmed with a top 10 team. Uh, or I'm, I'll rephrase this. Penn State might be the most underwhelming top 10 team I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like you watch them and you're like, ah, uh, okay. Like, their record is there and like it depends if you watch them more closely by the ohio state game or the michigan game right because it's like just like the ohio state game i'm like wait that is an amazing team but every other game i'm like what's impressive like i can't i can't make the case against penn state as a top 10 team except for having watched them where you're just like i don't want to see this team so it's like so so basically outside of beating ohio state michigan's entire resume is built around that that michigan that penn state game i just we haven't really seen them get tested as much as we've seen Georgia get tested by some better teams. So, um, by the we'll way, see. you really came at our producer John Hayes' alma mater, Penn State, there. But, uh, <laughs> but Tim, Tim, uh, first off, has a lot. He points out, I think, any shortcomings that Georgia has are overcome with depth. So, like, you can take advantage of something early, but we can outlast anyone. I think, I think that's a good true. point. Yeah. Uh, but Tim also asked, Tim's on a heater today, uh, is in, I'm curious if you know the answer to this. In 30 years of SEC championships, how many times do you think Georgia has won the SEC? And I'm trying uh, to think, did Murray win one? No, because he came really close that one time and they they uh the short pass the short like the, the short yeah. pass, like a, a yard short. I'm so gonna say Murray, I'm gonna say t- once. Once. I'll say twice. I'll just assume they had to at least win like one or two others. <laughs> I'm but... sure Tim will provide us with the, with the trivia. Answer. Well, I'm looking it up as we um like I had it up. <laughs> okay, I think I see three. It looks like they won in 02 and 05. Okay. But that is wild. Okay. Thank you. Tim, so, first AC championship in 16 years, despite this insane run that Georgia's been on, where they've clearly been, along with Bama and Ohio State, like the class of the entire sport. It's, it's amazing. God, that's unreal. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, okay, then let's ask ourselves, what is the path for LSU to win? Like, what actually is it? And I know some of it's just the sleepwalkiness, but... And I well, think I think you have to have you have to have good Jaden Daniels show up for starters, yeah. which he took the night off in Aggieland. I guess I don't know if good Jaden Daniels was left behind in Baton Rouge. I didn't see that same decisiveness. I didn't see that same accuracy. I saw 
those eyes drop a little bit quicker than you'd want. I saw the legs start churning, not real comfortable in the pocket. I didn't like what yeah. I saw from him. So um, he played – I think he played fine. Like, LSU moved the ball all game. It was one, you know, it was just one of those games where they got inside the 50, like nine out of ten drives and just didn't really mm-hmm. finish well. But continue. Yeah. So I think you got to have that decisiveness and accuracy. Like we saw against Alabama with that with the legs mixed in, of course. Um, you need to have the, a heavy dose of the quarterback run game to just make your numbers uh, better. If they've got a linebacker that has to account for Jane Daniels on every single play, that opens things up down the field. Yeah. It's just a pure numbers game. Um, and then, of course, like you need neighbors, Boutte, to, to make some really good plays. Um, certainly you need to establish the run, which is – Good luck. I don't. I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. I think they can move the ball through the air some. I you have to run it a little bit to keep them honest, I guess. But you know, we'll see. And then I think you just limit the big plays, and then threes, not seven. That's 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 your that's yeah yeah that's your that's your thing. Your red zone efficiency defensively. Um, if you can do all of those things, and then you can win the turnover battle by one or two, you're in the game late. And I think yeah. that's the best you can do against this georgia team you're if you do all those things you're in the game late maybe you need to stop or you need you're down three and you get the ball with you know three minutes left on your own 30 yeah it's like i think the overall the the quick answer is the defense just has to make this a low scoring ugly game like that's the overly simplistic way to look at it like which is reasonable it's totally possible and as much as i very much think people underrate the georgia offense because it's not sexy because it's not some cool scheme because there's not superstars like this is a really really good georgia offense that Mm -hmm. runs the ball efficiently and i think you saw in the tennessee game like they can attack you downfield they can get you those play action situations and get wide open. todd munkin's just a really again not some like sexy scheme but todd munkin's just a good play caller who knows how to get the best out of guys so yes i think it's underrated but still, like there is a there's not some one thing where you're like you can't beat that. Everything in a vacuum, LSU on the right night again, prefacing all this can match up with like LSU's D line. Yeah, almost every night except A and M, LSU's D line should be up there with anyone. Like almost like A and M. I don't know what happened. The LSU D line just got whooped. But most nights they match up and win that or hold their own. They can do that. Uh, the corners have been so much better than I expected this year. Harold Perkins obviously is just a game changer. See how creatively mm-hmm. you used him. But the linebackers as a whole have been pretty good. And the thing I'm really interested by, and I'm again, I don't think anyone can match up with Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington. Like There is no matchup for that. But maybe OSU is up there with teams who might have like a chance at that just in terms of one, Harold Perkins was probably put on this earth to like try to hang with those guys. He he's obviously big enough and is he's got as good a chance as about anybody, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't <laughs> think he's there in pass coverage to be some star, but he could. And also LSU has this weird secondary that none of us think it's a great secondary, but they're v- veteran and it's a lot of safety corner hybrids. Like they change mm-hmm. corners and say like they literally have three different players who have both started games at corner and safety this year. You know, uh, Jay Ward's played both throughout his whole career. Greg Brooks from Arkansas has played both all year. Even Jared Bernard Converse has played some safety this year. They got in Sage Ryan, the former five stars, another like, I think that it's they're not going to win, but they're guys who are obviously good in coverage, but are physical. And I think that gives them at least a chance there. So there is a route that, yeah, like there's a possibility holding the 17 or something like that. That's not out of the question. Hard, but possible. And the other thing you said is, I think your only chance on offense is Jaden Daniels just making stuff happen. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, that's what he does, right? And now you're a little worried about that because he has a bad ankle now. He he took a bad hit on that two point conversion in the fourth quarter, and he went to the tent, came back out, and led a really impressive drive to the red zone, and, and almost threw a touchdown to make it a game. But you could see he was limping. He was in a boot yesterday. He's gonna play, like obviously, but maybe that you need like your only chance is him just making stuff happen and. Mm-hmm him not being 100% that ankle against the most athletic defense you will face is concerning. So that's where you have to worry. Because I don't, as much as I think LSU's receivers are the second best unit in the SEC, I actually think that. I don't think you're just winning one-on-ones against Georgia. I don't think Malik Neighbors and Kayshawn Booty are just manhandling them or burning them or anything like that. Like I think that gets neutralized. LSU's run game is pretty solid. I don't think you win that. So mm-hmm. it's just Jane Daniels, and that's hard. Especially because... The QB spy thing you said, like, yes, we'll open things up, 
But is there a team probably better at QB spying than Georgia? You wouldn't think so. Just the bodies they have. So, mm-hmm. well, Brody, we got to talk about Auburn. <laughs> we got to do it. This is getting out of hand. Uh, so, to catch you up, if you haven't uh, uh, been tracking it, a lot of a lot of Lane Kiffin noise. Lane Kiffin throughout the week, he tells his team. Well, after the fact, he said he told his team he was not going to go and he was going to announce things after the game to put the uh, emphasis on them, which I would say is a strategic backfire, but whatever. Uh, I would say coming out and saying something as soon as you know it is probably better because that sort of puts the focus back on your team. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, after the game, he was pressed pretty hard at the post-game press conference about Auburn. He said, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving. Um, and... Uh, there's a well-worn skepticism, I would say, of when coaches say that, of yeah. like, okay. Um, the funniest example, last year, Lincoln Rally saying, guys, I'm not going to be the head coach at LSU after That was after so good in hindsight. That's the, oh my that's God. the funniest one. Like, the most, the most legendary one, obviously, you know, the old Pine Box Trail, uh, U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville. Uh, you're going to have to drag me out of here both in a pine box. Yes. Uh, Nick, Nick Saban, straight up denying he was going to Alabama before he went to Alabama. These are the probably. I think the best denial I've ever seen, though, even though it ended up being accurate, was Mike Tomlin about LSU last year. Do you remember that? He yeah, basically that was, was just like, I'd be an idiot. <laughs> like, yeah. I've never seen somebody just be like, that'd be the dumbest move I ever made in my life. Why would I go to that? <laughs> I'm just like, wow, tip of the cap to you, sir. Yeah. So uh, I think. Me personally, after the game, I was texting with some friends and I was like, I think I believe Lane. That was a pretty convincing denial. Anyway, yeah, he is staying. Uh, I don't believe he signed his extension with Ole Miss just yet. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but uh, he's staying. So that is huge for Ole Miss, obviously. Is Lane Kiffin staying at Ole Miss for a long time? I don't know. My thought was coming into this okay, if you're Lane, if you're Lane Kiffin. You've done some amazing things at Ole Miss. People are going to come after you. Can you win a national championship at Ole Miss? History says no. Does Lane Kiffin want to win a national championship? I I feel like probably. Uh, You know, we'll see. So the question is, okay, you've probably got one step up. Do you want to make that step at Auburn? Yeah, you have to. And I would say, you know, Auburn is kind of up and down. You know, and and obviously you have the booster element. If I'm waiting for my one big move and I'm at Ole Miss where I have some capital built up and people love me there, I, I don't know that I'm taking that next step to Auburn. Yeah. Yes, a lot of coaches have done some really good things at Auburn. But Gus Malzahn did some big things at Auburn. He beat Alabama and he's on the hot seat for like six straight years. I don't know that I want to necessarily live that life. And also go coach in the same state as Nick Saban. I don't know that that's – what I want to do is my next big job. So I, I, I thought since they fired, I mean, what, since the start of the year, since yeah. Brian, Lane Kiffin was obviously, I, I've said, if I'm Auburn, I'm going full court press on Lane Kiffin. If I'm Lane Kiffin, I'm staying away. That's just what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. So now we have the Hugh Freeze conversation. Well, wait, I want to well, jump in. For, uh, first off, just SC scout guy. We are going to get to South Carolina. Yeah, we'll like, get to South Carolina. Genuinely are. Uh, but the only thing is, I, I actually think you're right that he made the right decision probably not chasing that job because, yeah, yes. I think you just, especially with the SEC expanding, like I think Ole Miss and Auburn aren't that drastic of jobs. The only reason I always thought he would is because he's like open. Like I remember at media days, he's made like blatant comments about how there's a limitation to recruiting at Ole Miss and how like you just, you're not going to get the best recruiting classes at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And like it was almost transparent that he's like frustrated that he isn't at a job that's going to get you the best talent to win a title. And I wondered if the NIL stuff and all that, like their collective had gotten off to a slow start. That that was something that we were hearing a lot over the summer uh, is that he was very frustrated with that. And that was a big reason why they did so much work in the portal because transfers were a lot cheaper than high school kids. Um, I don't think I knew that. Yes. The market for transfers is much, much lower than it is for, um, for, which is for high school kids uh, i would love to have that discussion in another pod because that's fascinating it's, <laughs> well, it's a matter it's a matter of time and upside basically. yeah it's the future draft picks thing are always gonna be more valuable yes. than a guy drafted five minutes ago it's that's amazing. pretty much that's pretty much accurate um, um so yeah 
so yeah, I, that's why I thought he would. But I think you are right that like if I'm a person here, like I would rather be at the place that I already have the capital. That by the way, winning nine games kind of makes me a hero. But clearly, he wants to win a title. Like clearly, he is not happy living the nine and three, eight and four life. Like I don't think mm-hmm. that's for him. But for my brain, I'm like that's better. But yeah, I think he can wait for the perfect opportunity. You're right. So, but then that leads us to our next development. By the way, whenever Nick Saban decides to call it quits, there's no way, right? There's, I mean, my, I thought that's probably what he's thinking, but there's no way. That just, it's such a want to be a slap in the face to Nick. Like, <laughs> what? No, no, not like I don't think this, but like they, like I feel like one. I don't think Nick Saban's always been the biggest Lane Kiffin fan. Uh, and like, I don't know. It's like, hey, you built all of this with just pure responsibility and structure. We're gonna hire Lane Kiffin. I feel like people won't <laughs> respond well to that. And Maybe, like, but and I feel like Nick's, Nick's in the Coach K zone of like, he doesn't get to pick his successor, but you better kind of listen to him. Yeah, and then as you see, I got Brent mentions Dabble. Dabble is always the name that's come up. I thought back in the day, well, a few years ago, that Dabble wouldn't leave. Now with the restructuring. Ooh, you know that'd be interesting. Dare I say the shines come off Dabo a little bit? Oh yes, I'm going to get to that in the years. South Carolina thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so now you have the Hugh Freeze conversation, where on the field you don't have a lot of questions about Hugh Freeze. Off the field, certainly plenty of questions. There's the you know I think for a lot of people, it's less about the NCAA stuff and the escort service stuff, and a lot about you know contacting sexual assault victims that have sue the university i think that leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths i think people are tired of the ncaa but very much more in tune with um you know survivors of sexual assault and not having and doing right by them and so he leaves a bad taste in people's mouths it's just true um and so you're seeing obviously he was getting to the 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 front row of this conversation there has been some blowback right now it seems like we're figuring out whether or not that blowback is going to be enough uh, to have that not happen. I'll say this. Auburn just lived the life where not everybody was on board with the coach that they just hired. Do you want to get back into that again? Whether or not, whatever you think about Hugh Freeze, the reality is if you hire him, there's going to be a sect, however large, of the population of Auburn fans that are, this is not my guy. Definitely. You just lived that. It, it is important that you and have probably live that all the malls on era too. Yes. Yeah. You need that guy. Uh, and so, and that's why Lane would have worked because they would have been yes. so gung ho behind him. Mm-hmm. So you got to find that guy. Can you get a guy out of left field? I think, yes. I think one thing that I've been kicking okay. around writing um, these days is with the conference uh, realignments. Well, we call it realignment. I should, I say consolidation. <laughs> I think one thing that fans in the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 are going to have to get used to is that your jobs are now stepping stone jobs. The Big 10 and the SEC can pay more. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if you're Auburn now, can you go sniffing around some coaches that that nobody talks wow. about? Like, all right, you got is, you, you, is there is there a Lincoln Riley out there? Is there a Brian Kelly out there? Do you have any up your sleeve? Come on, you got some. <laughs> I don't, but... I'm saying that's something that I would consider. And I would say, hey, come sell a coach on, hey, look where the sport is going. In five years, the yeah. job that you have now is not going to be the job that you have now. Come here to Auburn. We can very give you good top, observation. We can, you can recruit the top 10, top five level here. We've seen that happen. Uh, yes, we have some alignment issues. Yeah. But you can win here. And you're about to not be able to win there because your your school is about to – uh, uh, be hurt by the winds of change. Now, and I'm that, saying, I think, is a compelling selling point. And because, again, and I think Dennis Dodd even just reported, like, they don't even have a plan C, really. Obviously, I doubt they literally don't, but, like, yes. you know, I think it was pretty much lane or freeze. And if hypothetically neither happen, it's like, who is option three or plan C? Because I don't know. Um, and I'm trying to, like, just spitball completely irresponsibly, so don't anyone take this as, like, but, like, <laughs> Okay, because I'm trying to think of, like, who would the coaches be that would just make sense? And I think, by the way, there's a lot of smart hires you can make that aren't sexy and might not fit what Auburn wants. Like, Kane Womack is at South Alabama, and, like, 
would not be sexy and definitely has a lot to prove still. But I think quick Kane, quick Kane Womack side. Yeah. How do you feel about him just taking LEO from Indiana? Fair? Has he done that? I, yes. I followed South Alabama closely. I've not caught on the. <laughs> He's LEO. been tweeting out hashtag LEO, and I I saw it the other day. And I was like, you know what? Who am I to say people shouldn't love each other? You know, like that would be a bad take. So more love, it felt the better. Distasteful to me that I was like, it's kind of Indiana's thing. Can you? I, I don't know. I about think that, it works. But... If it was like. Kalen DeBoer doing that maybe would be like a little different. I think Kane's like literally Tom Allen's guy, like since yeah, he was a fair. GA at Ole Miss. So it I might work. But I didn't know that. That is fascinating. But um, yeah, like Dave Aranda would never in a million years be, a, be in the mess at Auburn. There's no world. Like I'm just trying to think of like who the example would be of what you're presenting. Like, well, that's it, what that's what ADs and search firms do. You have to ask around and you have to say, hey, Who's who? This pitch work on? Who oh is a wait, little bit... Kevin Wise just said, "Would Shane would they hire Shane Beamer?" Oh no, you can't take <laughs> away our best story. But honestly, yeah. that would make that's not a bad move. I'm just saying it. <laughs> well, uh, Shane Beamer, by the way, uh, late breaking news from Pete Thamel looks like he's about to lose his OC, Marcus Satterfield. So uh, to whom? To to uh, Nebraska, following Matt Rule. Ooh, okay, Satterfield. That, that's the one that's going to be complicated for the fan base because, you know, the most popular guy at every campus is always the backup quarterback, and the least popular guy is usually the coordinator of the unit that people are the angriest about. Yeah. Uh, Tom Harlow said they love, they love him in Columbia today, Tom. We need to go back and search Marcus Satterfield in, like, October. Let's see how that was going. <laughs> yes. It was not going great. It was not going last year. So, yeah, yeah, I think the players and staff love him. The fans were a little bit uh, perturbed. So, yeah, that that one, uh, you know, you you never want to replace coordinators, but um, you know, we'll see. So, you know, where does Auburn go? I, that's that's where I'd go. I would I'd say, hey, listen, we're Auburn. We have a good job. I do think Auburn is a good job. It is a job with some flaws. You don't have to panic. You don't have to make some rushed hire. It's no. November twenty eighth. You still have what two three weeks to early signing day, which does matter. But just, hey, let's hit reset and let's cast a wide net. We had our guys. Maybe, I, you know, maybe those aren't going to work out. Obviously, Lane is not Hugh Freeze. We'll see. Um, and John so, Cohen has proven he's like outside the box might be dramatic, but he doesn't fall into. I mean, you look at his Mississippi State hires. It was like, even though Joe Moorhead didn't work out, still, I think everyone thought that was a great hire in the moment. But that was not. Mm-hmm. I Because, I mean, I was at the Clarion Ledger at the time. I remember our list of who the obvious candidates were, and Joe Moorhead was not one of them, and that looked like a home run. That was out of nowhere. Um, Mike Leach obviously shocked most of us, and that has worked, by the way. They're 8-4 this year. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, baseball, I know not everyone follows college baseball that closely, but Chris Limonis at Indiana was not an obvious hire, and he won them a college World Series. So, like, I think John Cohen's a good – he's not a reactionary hire, so I yeah. trust him to probably go for someone we're not thinking of, which is to your point. So that's the thing. I think maybe we're too close to it, and Auburn has a lot of red flags in the job. But at the end of the day, Auburn has a lot to sell also. Yes. It's a very good job. You can win Dude, big I wanna, there. I want to ask you this. Like, Okay, I think we all probably thought before the last three years of chaos, Auburn was probably like, what, a top 10 job? Like 8, 9, 10 in, in zone? And like, in the sport? Yeah. I don't know about that. Like in the 10, say, 10 to 12? No, I don't think so. I had it like... I think the Auburn and the Tennessee job are very similar. We ranked the jobs in the Ooh, SEC. I know. I remember we with, did. With Ari. And then Ari, <laughs> Ari, <laughs> Ari made everybody mad because he ranked Auburn last. Yes. Well, that's what I wanted to get to. It's like, because <laughs> yeah. I don't remember where we, yeah, Auburn gets skewed. But either way, I think Auburn's always been considered a very, very, very It's good a really job. good job. It's probably and the best I think or because the, the SEC, alignment stuff is, is yeah. so real. Like the alignment stuff yeah. is real and you need to be cautious, but like, yeah, it's become such a thing that I think like it's the, the reversion of the perception has gone like 10% too far. That's like, probably yes, true. That is a thing, but it takes you from like, I don't know, let's say 14th to 18th. Like, I don't think it takes you from 14th to 50th. Like it's yeah. still a really good job. Sorry. So we'll, we'll see. Um, it, it's going to be very interesting to, to watch. I will yeah. say that. Uh, all right, Brody. So. Let's 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 get to South Carolina because we've been I've been beating this drum all year. Not so much about South Carolina, but on the Shane Beamer uh, perturbedness, I guess people, uh, you know, complaining about Shane. Listen, 
the guy has got his team obviously still invested. He's kept some receipts, and now you're cashing in. The Tennessee win. I think we I think we were talking about it on this show. I don't think we yeah, were, we're, talking about we it were calling week. them a one hit wonder necessarily, but I did not believe in them going into the Clemson game and they fall yeah. behind 14 nothing. And sure enough, they rally back. They win that game against a Clemson team that I do think was kind of underrated somehow coming into that game. Yeah. There is nothing you can say about those two losses, but wow, that's really impressive. Um that is really impressive. And I wrote about it this morning at the Athletic. I led my my best and worst of the SEC with with South Carolina out here. Uh, Shane Beamer keeping receipts on Jesse Palmer and the rest of the the college football ecosystem of shrugging off his team. And I just think it's really interesting the incremental stuff that we've seen from them because they took the really bad loss to A and M the the last year, and then they just whoop up on Florida. They whoop up on Auburn, yeah. and. That people are showing off, well, those teams didn't really matter. And the North Carolina didn't want to be at the bowl game because they started in the top 10. I said, okay, okay. And then this year, they had the ugly loss to Florida and they bounce back, destroy Tennessee, go beat Clemson on Clemson's home field. That is really, really impressive. And um, props to, 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 to Shane Beamer and Sathana, who was calling out, uh, you know, uh, the. Uh, uh, I think Marty Smith tweeted, do you remember when somebody asked him if his team had quit early in the season? It was yes. a radio guy at South Carolina. And <laughs> Shane just tweeted, I do. He was not happy. Uh, so SC Stout guy says the only people that I see say people are complaining about Shane Beamer is media from outside of South Carolina. That's because we pay attention to other people from outside of South Carolina. People, Shane Beamer really Polarizing. annoys he yeah. really annoys a lot of sec fans and I, I said it's stupid because he annoys them because he is enthusiastic and uh enjoys it when his team does good things it's like they never, th- I, I think there's a portion of people who think he's a pj fleck when he's not a P, like there's like he's CJ, not at all he's not a like, pj fleck yeah no i like he doesn't again he doesn't have a binder full of uh a language that he wants his program to speak um i think he just he treats people really well I think you hear that from every stop that he's been. I mean, there's a reason why like people around Oklahoma and the Lincoln rally tree, like still revere Shane, the players that he played for. What did you see Saturday night? I obviously, you know, I used to, I covered Oklahoma for one season in 2009. Oh gosh. And, but I covered the big 12 for a long time. So I follow a lot of people around uh, uh, big 12 country and a lot of Oklahoma players. What did you see Saturday night? Happy for Shane Beamer. Happy yep. for Shane Beamer. You don't see that everywhere. That's not Brody. as common as people would think. You no. don't see that everywhere. And I think it's because, again, he treats people well. He seems very uh, uh, genuine. Yes. And people like him. There's a lot of coaches that you – know, every coach goes places and you, and you move up and you move around and you do all those things. And the truth usually comes out when you leave. And not a lot of people leave a program – and That's still have people at that other program love them very well and played. congratulate them publicly and root for them. Yeah. Dare I say it's more often the opposite. Yep. No, so I think that's a really good point. And like, it's like as much as we love Lane Kiffin for like saying the quiet part out loud, maybe we love Shane Beamer for enjoying the quiet part out loud. I don't know. That's not the right <laughs> way to phrase that, but just like, it's like, Hey, I don't have to act cooler than I am. Like, this is awesome. Yes. I'm going to enjoy this. And I think there's something like, to it's that. It's fun. And, and I think, uh, he, he appreciates one, I think the opportunity that he has. Yes. And, uh, you know, as he saw guy in the comments says the same thing that I saw is that his players love him and they won't quit. They've had a lot of reason to quit. I didn't think they did, but they took a couple rough losses early in the season. They got down to South Carolina. Yep. Nobody gave him a chance against Tennessee. And here they are, you know, this is a team that was sitting at five wins and you're looking there at, Tennessee and Clemson, two teams that are in the playoff hunt. I what were the Vegas odds that they'd be a seven-win team here sitting here at the end of the season? Not very good. Uh, you could probably finance the GDP of a small country and qualify for the World Cup if you had bet like a hundred bucks on them to beat Tennessee yes. and Clemson. So props to him on that. And and last week, I believe I asked you the question of like, okay, wait, let's step back. What can they be? Like, is this is a cool story, and so was it last year, but like what can they be in the pecking order of the SEC? And I started thinking, and I'm not there yet. Like, don't hold this against me. But it's just, I wonder. And I think I said last week, 
the thing with him was it was a you knew he'd be able to recruit and run a program. You didn't know if he'd be able to get like the on-field going and he's getting it going fast. So it's like, holy crap, what is he going to do now that he's proven that? But I started looking back at like the Spurrier years at South Carolina and uh, mm-hmm. and comparing it to Clemson at that time because – and I'm SC, SC scout guy and you both might correct me here, but I went through all the recruiting rankings and it's like in that 09 to 13 zone when South Carolina was obviously on its heater, they're, both their classes were generally in that like – 15 to 20 zone most years clemson had like the one like stefan anthony like really loaded year but other than that it was mainly like 15 20 there were similar zones and spurrier was such a good coach that he could be he could clearly own clemson all that stuff and right around 14 obviously clemson's recruiting went up a notch you get to sean watson you get all these guys and 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 that's it to be honest that coincides with spurrier stepping down and that's i think he stepped down at mm-hmm. 15 right and it's like that's when that rivalry shifted Dabo could take over and recruiting the recruiting rankings just changed and i just wonder now that we are in this zone of one clemson shine is where clemson's still the best program like they are still a top five program do not but the shine's wearing off and there is some cracks and maybe to your point about the consolidation does like their stock drop a little because they're in the ACC and does dab in the NIL era. Does that hurt them? All this stuff. There's still a really good job, but is there an opening for like Shane Beamer to narrow the margin in that rivalry? Cause and I, when I say the rivalry, I mean the recruiting element. Like, I mean that like they're recruiting from mm-hmm. a lot of the same base. Let's be honest, South Carolina, but even the States around it and like, can you na- I mean South Carolina has a top 20 class right now it looks really deep and nice and they're probably gonna get more and it's like I don't think South Carolina is ever gonna have a top five class like Clemson can have but can you narrow that and if you can narrow that recruiting gap maybe South Carolina can actually become a real player in the east like that's not crazy yeah I mean I think it, it part of it matters with how competent everyone else is um, like Kentucky seems like they're right up against their ceiling and we'll yes. see what Mark Stoops uh, is doing by the way Auburn Ooh, we might be there. Anyway, <laughs> we forgot about that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, but they seem like they're up against their ceiling a little bit. Tennessee is getting their act together, but if you if all of the chips fall in place for South Carolina, can you be the second best program in the East? That seems possible. You have to do it, but you, you're going to have a hard yes. time convincing me that's not possible. Okay, yeah. Georgia. Just quite frankly, they seem like they're in place for like a 10, 15 year. Like they're gonna be there. So I am ready right. to say they're gonna be Bama. Yeah, like, because be the next because you have Kirby Smart, who, yeah, he's gonna have to replace coordinators at some point. He's gonna have to do a lot of things. But at the end of the day, he's obsessed with recruiting. And to quote our good friend Ari Wasserman again, stars matter. It's the most important thing. This is a talent acquisition business. I don't know how many times I have to say that. That's what college football is. Can you get dudes? And that is what Kirby Smart does. You got to do some other stuff. You know, Texas A&M is learning that lesson this year. But if you can get dudes, that's the hardest part. So Georgia's going to – I mean, Georgia if, – if Georgia – if this run of not necessarily being in the best team in the country every single year, but where they're top five in the mix, you know, almost every year for the next decade, if that doesn't happen, I'll be surprised. And I, I, I don't know what the road to that is, you know. Just stay off of motorcycles, Kirby. That's all I have to say. <laughs> My Petrino story last week. So yes, great work on that. Everyone should go read it. Thank you. Um, and also, you should go read uh, uh, on the Clemson discussion. Uh, Grace Rayner wrote a column about the need for a reset because, again, the program is. And by the way, not to get down too far down the, the shoot, but Clemson, I think, is a matter of when, not if they're in the SEC. Uh, I think it will yeah. be a while with the ACC. Okay, so that might rights, answer the but. If we're talking 30 years, 15 years, I'm going to I'm gonna take that back. Uh, so anyway, you know, uh, but the point that I think we're going to is, is even if the divisions go away, ultimately, you can still be for South Carolina in that second class, I think. I don't, yep. It's going to be hard for you to ever get to the yeah, that Alabama, that Georgia level, um, you know, where Tennessee and Florida were in the 90s. I, I don't know that I ever see that for South Carolina. They just in their but history. But you're chasing the Spurrier years. That's what you're doing. Yeah. That's that's a huge – you would take 11 wins any day. Yeah. I would can hope. you can you Can you win double digits once a cycle and yes. never dip below six or seven? I think that's possible. It's a real, I, think I think that's the exact that. right way to view it. Yep, I think that's um, When you're peaking – can you be in that mix and beat Bama? Yeah, probably. Like yeah. you probably can. So, uh, 
props to South Carolina. I think ultimately you have a very invested program. You have a top 15 class right now. You've got as much juice as anybody in the country. Well, in the country, I say probably in the conference other than Georgia going into the off season. Now you've got to parlay that on the recruiting trail. What you did on Saturday probably carries over more to 2024, but it can help you get a jump uh, on where you're at. So, you know, you can't ask for a better situation. Um, also, Brody, we got to touch on the the Bama playoff stuff. I am the the ESPN FPI graphic got people fired up that had Bama at fourteen percent to make the playoff, USC at twelve percent. That's fantasy. I I've never understood ESPN's FPI. They don't seem to really ever explain it. It seems all the numbers just seem made up and like divergent it's... from reality. I don't understand how they calculate any of these things. I am never a guy who just rips on things. And I'm just like, that's the <laughs> dumbest one I've ever seen. Like all of their polls. I'm just like, you it's so wrong, but yes. Well, it's like that. It's like, it doesn't ever like, so you look at these numbers. Okay. And they don't seem to reflect the current reality and they're not predictive. So what service, yes. what do they, what, what, what are they, what are they showing us? And it's like, frustrating because they I also no employ idea. the best predictive metric, probably in the sport of SP plus. And it's like, they yes. just refuse to use it. Uh, it's fine. But. So whatever. Um, but ultimately, the scenario seems like Georgia, it doesn't matter what happens. TCU, we'll see. I think they're still in if they lose. I would not bet my life on it. Okay, so you... hmm. that's going to be Michigan, tough. It's going to be a thing, is man. Regardless. Michigan, because... first of all, I don't think Michigan can lose to Purdue. But they're in yes, Michigan and Georgia are no matter what. TCU might be. So we will see what the committee does. And we will see how the committee treats Ohio State's loss. A lot of people seem resigned to the fact that Ohio State will only drop to five and that they'll stay above Alabama and Tennessee. And I think they probably should. But probably I'm not convinced should. they will. I That's the question. They... I, I don't know. And, and this is where it's going to get complicated because if you look at all three of those teams, okay, Ohio State's a one-loss team. Bama and Tennessee both have two losses. Tennessee has the best wins, I think, out of that group, mm-hmm. but they have a terrible loss to South Carolina, and then they got punked by Georgia, which whatever. Yeah, the Alabama, unfortunate truth is Tennessee's just not getting in. Like, there's not yes. even a scenario. Yes. Alabama, Alabama does not really have the wins. Nope. Like, their best wins are Mississippi State and Texas, which is like... I believe so, yeah. Okay. But then you look at their losses, and it's like, okay... They've had some some very close wins, but they've also lost to LSU on the last play, to Tennessee on the last play on the road. So it's like, okay. And then you look at Ohio State, and the case for Ohio State is pretty much that they have one loss. And is that going to be enough? I, I don't know. So I, I think it's going to be Ohio State. I think so, too. I, I think that's Mainly true. just because – and it's so fun that it's these two teams because it's like, <laughs> one, we've literally seen the committee like Bama more than Ohio State multiple yes. times in these scenarios yes. in very dramatic ways. But also at the same time, the committee has proven very much like the last few years, especially in like the day era, like to the point of like the advanced metrics, we like they love Ohio State. Even when like – even when we've the last two years been like they got weaknesses – they still look at the per play and the SP, not literally SP plus, but stuff like it. And just yeah. be like, they are like, cause those metrics always think Ohio state is the best team. They almost always think that. So I think there's no way it's Bama, but it's real, man. And I think, I hope you're right. that TCU's in no matter what, but they have not liked TCU. Like they, they have, have been reluctant to put them where they are. And if TCU and USC both lose, which we both know is very possible, not likely, but possible. Yes. Kansas State, very good. I am, Utah already beat USC once, so I we'll see. deeply hope I'm wrong, but I'm not convinced that Ohio State and Bama both don't get in there because they love Ohio State so much and they don't respect you. Yeah, TCU. we'll see. I'm so I, hope I, I'm wrong. Because we both are not high on uh, Alabama. We both think they are just flawed and their losses aren't even that jarringly great, and their yeah. wins are definitely not great, and they've been in, like, yeah. six. But then Andy pointed out very well on the show with Ari that, like, but you also could argue that they lost two games by one play, mm-hmm. and it's like, that's a decent argument that they're, like, actually better. I, But they're not a top-four team. They are just not. And that's even on top of the conversation about earned, like, because I don't think they've earned it. But even more than that, they're just not a top-four team. Yeah. I'm very intrigued. The, the the committee has to show their cards because what we're going to see on Tuesday night is five, six, seven in order. 
None of those teams are playing on Saturday. So the only way that you in theory would move it is if something happened at the bottom, an upset in the conference games, and a team that you played that's not in the top 25 this week moves into the top 25 and gives you a top 25 win. That's the only way that those could be reshuffled. But the committee, yes. for the most part, has to show their cards. So whatever we that order we see on Tuesday night is probably going to be the order that they're in line sitting there rooting against all these teams in the, in the conference championship uh, Saturday, but the committee has got to be rooting out for those teams because it's very clean. If none of those teams lose. And even if TCU loses, you know, they, they can still pretty easily put TCU in there. Um, I do got to say, SC scout guy does point out. And I say this because we are an SEC show. Maybe we should say Southern Cal and not USC (laughs) because we are an SEC show and we need to respect Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but yes, it's going to be. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how yeah. this shakes out. I really um, Tuesday night show. The committee hasn't. Maybe it's because they haven't been a G5 team that we can yell at them about every week. Because if yeah. you do the if you do the mock selection, you can see the numbers. You can see how the G5 gets undervalued every single year. And then ironically, as my as our colleague Chris Vanini pointed out earlier this year, um. Now that there's no playoff team, it seems like the G5 is getting like a lot of respect. Like UCF Ooh. loses and they drop like two spots or something like that. Yeah, like the, the G5 true. is getting the most respect they've ever gotten in a year where they have no one that's even close to the playoff conversation. So uh, I don't know what to make of that. Um, but either way, we're going to see what's what's going on. Brody, coaching carousel starting to heat up. Yes. My eyes are on the Aggies. I think you have to have a coaching overhaul. Jimbo Fisher said some concerning things God. after the game. Sam Kahn wrote about this uh, in his uh, his lead takeaway from uh, Aggieland on Saturday night. Jimbo Fisher basically saying there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. And he and was like in defensive mode, man. And the, here's the I just f- don't know how you can watch that team for 12 games and come away with that takeaway. Here's I, the that's pro- insane. Here's the real problem with what happened after that game Saturday night. It's not that he even said that, even though that is we should talk about that. It's the way that he came into that so like he came into that frustrated. Like he went to that press conference in a defensive zone of C, I told you, which mm-hmm. that's one thing to believe that. But what that's really telling you is everything he had been saying the previous weeks about like, yeah, like, yeah, like maybe we, we got to do some stuff. That was a lie. And he deep down always felt this way. And the second they won, by the way, to go five and seven. So you should not be feeling vindicated. The second they won, he was like, no, no, no. See, this is the truth. And that is why you have to be really worried because it means he never wanted to do it. It means that deep down, he doesn't believe it's wrong. And by the way, I don't think he's in like, there is not zero truth to the notion that, yeah, this was a young team. And this was like kind of the first night that a lot of those young offensive weapons just like, showed out and showed what they can be like you're not Mm -hmm. wrong there but that would be a good argument if you went seven and five being historically bad as they are and we don't we've been over this we don't need to do it again but like that's that argument doesn't work this there's something wrong here and i don't think he's changing he's gonna make a hire he's gonna read they have a plan like they're gonna do much stuff but at the end of the day nothing's really changing he's still gonna run that offense the second something goes bad he's still gonna pull the trigger this is concerning for A&M. So I'm just going to go down the list of where we think the changes are coming from. On the good end, uh, Tennessee, if Alex Golish wants to go somewhere, yep, he's going to have some opportunities. That's kind of up to him. Uh, Mississippi State, I think they're going to have to fend off some people for Zach Arnett. Yes. Uh, fantastic coordinator, runs at 3-3-5 that really gives programs trouble. They may have to pay up to keep him. Yeah. Uh, Great stuff there. Um, on the bad end, well, on the good end. Also, I throw out Matt House, uh, LSU's DC. I think yes. he's somebody that NFL teams might call. He just came from the Chiefs, and mm-hmm. he left UK being DC because I think he didn't love the college life. Yeah. So I wouldn't be shocked if he went NFL if called, but that's not South Carolina's on the search for an OC now with, with no more. Yeah. On the bad end, Brody. Yes. Uh, Kentucky's offensive staff. Mm. Uh, certainly... I would suggest a, a change seems like likely at offensive line. Rich Scangarello, we'll see what happens there. I would bet probably that there are some changes coming there, whatever yep. that looks like. Uh, 
we can call it whatever we want to call it. Bill O'Brien at Alabama. I think that that marriage is probably coming to over. an end. Hey, go uh, find so, another job. Yeah, don't yeah. fire him, but yeah, maybe I think go that, chase one, that, that one is 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 going to an end. Um, yes. Oh man, forgot yes. that's going to be a huge <laughs> domino though. Like that's yes. going that's going to send a lot of things. It will. Um, you know, I, I Arkansas in the Kendall Bryle situation. I think there's a lot of frustration there. I don't think you're going to see a change there with Sam Pittman. I, I think I don't think you should. I, I don't think you should either. I don't think you can do better. And I think you can point to, hey, KJ was hurt, and that's when the offense really ground to a halt. Now, is that a problem with quarterback development and your recruiting? Maybe. Um, you know, Malik Hornsby has kind of been all over the map. Um, yeah. Fortin has been. I think he's a, you know, a walk on. Came from. Yeah. He's like in a sixth year by now. Yeah. Yes. So you got you have some you have some. I would, I think, you know, Arkansas probably in the portal this year looking for a quarterback. Um, So, but that's kind of, I think, those are the things that stand out to me. I think we're going to have some curveballs. Of course. And then, yeah, outside of Auburn, I don't think you're going to see, I don't think you're going to see anybody get fired out of nowhere. But could somebody get hired away out of nowhere? I'm not going to rule that out. I think last year really showed us, you know, I think Ross Dellinger always says it best. uh, consider everything, believe nothing. Very, <laughs> yeah, very good so, advice. It's like one hundred percent true. Uh, so, Munkin, really like, I don't think there's an obvious job anymore because most of them have been filled. But like Munkin, Todd Munkin at Georgia OC will always be a good candidate. That'd be mm-hmm. another good one to watch. Yeah, he's but, an yeah. interesting guy. I, I, I think he, you know, he was a head coach once. Um, he was good at Southern it. Miss, um, and then you know, we'll see. I don't know what to make of him. I, I think being the OC at a place like Georgia where you have all these toys and you're making two and a half million dollars, you don't have to answer any of the tough questions when things don't go, go right for you. Yeah. It seems like a decent gig, I feel like. But, True. And the know, fact that he left being like a rising star head coach yeah. to be an NFL OC, that's not that common. Like that probably tell, gives you a little insight to your exact point of like, yeah. So what it, it kind of depends on, yeah. you know, when you get those jobs where you are a, an OC at Clemson or an Ohio state, or it's really about what do you want out of your career? Do you want to go run a program? Some guys do. Some guys are kind of like, ah, I like this. And maybe that changes over time. You know yeah. what? You like want I think Kevin Wilson will career. be an OC for the rest of his life at Ohio state. Like, yeah, he's Kevin happy. Wilson. I, I remember covering Kevin Wilson at Oklahoma like 10 years ago. Good grief. <laughs> I'm old. Um, yeah, well, when Brody, you dropped the 09, I just wanted to hurt your feelings real quick before we roll out. You mentioned 09, you were covering Oklahoma. Um, do you want to know where I was? No, I don't. I, I was do graduating not. middle school, my guy. I'm just going to end on that note. Oh, Let's go. That's rough. That is that, rough. That like, broke my brain. Because I, I, I don't feel like we have that much of an age difference. So that really <laughs> got me. Oh, that is rough. That is rough. Uh, so anyway, well, Brody, we want to get out of here, but we, got, we, we can do some quick work here. Yeah. Two things. Our pick of the week. I think we're both taking Georgia minus 16. This is not, I want to say, this is not a reaction to last week. This is me saying, yeah, no. When the bell rings for Georgia, they show up. And I think they're going to be real fired up and motivated for this game. I think you're going to see peak Georgia. I don't think it says anything about LSU. I think you're going to no. get a Georgia flex this weekend. I think they're Good angry about what happened last year. And I think this team, I'm now a believer that this is not so much a Georgia team with flaws as much as a national champion that gets bored when they go play at Mizzou. I think that's yep. what happens. And they aren't as, you know, your preparation is not what it needs to be. They're, they're going to be on point this week. I'm with you. And then Brody, in honor, I think you're on the same pick. What, what's, uh, what's, your, what's your reasoning? Oh, yeah. No, I won't even try to add any more insight. Yeah, no. You, I completely agree. And before we get out of here, Brody, we do want to hit on our best Atlanta meals as oh, many yes. of our listeners and ourselves, which we need to do a show post-Saturday uh, night because uh, I will be yeah, we'll playing be very there. early Sunday morning. So I am leaving. So we should okay. do – we got to figure out something. We got to talk to producer John about what we're going to do. But uh, two best the two best meals I will point at in, in, in Atlanta. I went to – Superica a few years ago. There, I think there's multiple locations now. It's unbelievable chef-driven Mexican food. It's very good. And then Nantai, which is more expensive than it should be, uh, but extri- probably the best Thai food I've ever had in my life. Wow. Uh, they have like a full like, right. 
tree of uh i don't think dim sum is thai i don't know what they call it it's just a bunch of probably cousins of it yeah something like that same tree it's like tree it's like 30 dollars. it's too expensive but it's delicious i think i had the pad tether it's very very good Um, let's go friday that well mate we'll have to see maybe those are the two best meals that i've had in atlanta brody Yes. Best meal you've had in Atlanta. I think the best meal I've had in Atlanta is, and I went there out of laziness. White Oak, uh, right across, like right in downtown. Um, I went honestly out of laziness, and I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, they'd won all these cocktail awards, and like, oh, let's go, and it was fantastic. I got a sorghum bra- a sorghum braised short rib that boggled okay. my mind. I had multiple uh blackberry sage old fashions which like i'm not like one of those guys who's like give me the fruity version of this drink but it just like <laughs> brought it out so much it was top five cocktails i've ever consumed like it was perfection interesting so white oak it's in downtown so like it'd be easy to go to uh i was really happy with that yeah and then i, I but superica is on there superica is great yeah and then uh i'm a big korean barbecue guy brody mm-hmm. Just a bunch of elite Korean barbecue all over the place. Yes. Uh, I believe Iron Age is a chain, but I've been there a handful of times. Very big fan of that. There's one right. in like Duluth on the edge of town. Uh, so Atlanta, a great Korean barbecue town. Uh, so th- th- that's where I would I would uh, I would lean. But have you been? Brody, we got to get out of here. We got to oh, yeah, let you go okay. talk to. Uh, Mr. Bryant. Well, no, you're not. No, no, no Monday presser today, or is there? No, there's a Monday presser. All right. I got it. LSU season marches on. So anyway, thank you guys for listening. Uh, both Brody and I will be in Atlanta this weekend, uh, watching AC Championship, and then I'm going to be in Charlotte and Vegas, and it's going to be a week. So I'm already tired thinking about it. Um, so anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll figure out what we're going to do this weekend, Brody. we got to talk to John. Yes, so. we will. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. We'll see you again at some point after the ACC Championship game. Thanks. Thanks.